0: Hello and welcome to Alpha Bunga Bunga, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. I'm Alex Hokely, and today we are going to be talking about something that is bang on the money, especially for us. We are talking about the interregnum, this strange period in which the current neoliberal order hasn't died, it's fatally wounded, but it's not yet been killed. So we're very happy to be joined by Rune Stahl, a postdoc at the University of Copenhagen, to talk about exactly this. His paper on the matter looks back at previous interregnums and looks at how those were negotiated, how competing visions fought over the possibility of creating a new order, and what actually happened. So here is myself, Alex Hochuli, Phil Cunliffe, and George Hoare talking to Runa Stahl. Here's George.
1: So, uh, Runa, thanks for, for joining us.
2: Yeah, so thanks for having me. It's, uh, yeah, for following you for a while and you're having some really good uh, some interesting discussions I really enjoyed uh, the last one here with uh, uh, with Quince Lobodian about the about neoliberalism now we can talk about the, the, what's hopefully the the end of you no know, what they call the beginning of the end
1: yeah and what what and what comes next um, yeah. yeah so in 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 your in your paper that we're mainly going to be discussing today you you compare our periods in in mem- many ways to the 1970s making yeah. the Making the case that it's just a, a time of ch- it's, a ch- it's a time of change and transition. Um, and before we dig a bit into more uh, what this idea of an interregnum might mean, um, it, I think there are some really important headline points um, that you make in the argument, uh, making the in the argument of the paper. And some of these are the following: that it's important that crises or transi- transitionary periods aren't necessarily short. Um, and I think there's often an idea that crises are these short. Um, brief periods um, between stable periods of rule. Um, And as part of the aim of this podcast, it's important for us to move beyond some of these sterile, inconsistent pronouncements about the death versus the non-death of neoliberalism, with even such a figure as Macron announcing absurdly last December that financial capitalism is nearing its end. Um, And another, uh, well, starting point here is, is Antonio Gramsci and his famous quote, if the ruling class has lost its consensus, i.e. is no longer leading, but only dominant, exercising coercive force alone, this means precisely that the great masses have become detached from their traditional ideologies and no longer believe what they used to believe previously, etc. And then comes the famous bit. The crisis consists precisely in the fact that the old is dying and the new cannot be born. In this interregnum, a great variety of morbid symptoms appear. So I think this is this is a great um, starting point for us. Um, so I think one of your main arguments in in the paper is that we're in this um, transitionary period. Um, but does neoliberalism feel like it's in crisis today? Is there that sense of an ending, or is it more just the return of politics?
2: I I, I think it feels like uh, there is a there is a crisis. It's um, a part of this is uh, the the strength of the left. I think everyone who's been on uh, on the left for the last couple of decades have. Uh, have felt the sort of uh, powerlessness that nothing really worked and we were you know the sort of marginality uh, that um, that's basically been been here since uh, since the 19 uh, 1980s and that has changed in in some ways but it's also just the the lack of uh, of confidence uh, of uh, the sort of uh, the high priests of uh, of neoliberalism you get you got a 2016 paper from uh, from the IMF research uh, department uh, uh, talking about neoliberalism oversold. You have uh, the OECD uh, publishing um, uh, you know one report after the other talking about inequality. Uh, if you go to Davos, like every year, they are freaking out about inequality, finance. Uh, so there is this sense of um, basically neoliberalism not being as uh, Yeah, strong. It's not the sort of uh, uncontested common sense that it used to be. You know, when you see uh, you know a paper like uh, the 2016 IMF paper, uh, it's not only that they criticize certain neoliberal policies, but it's even that they, you know, that they speak the word. You know, for uh, for a long time it was uh, the sort of the go-to defense of, uh, of any critique of neoliberalism was that it's, you know, it's not a thing. It's, uh, you know, it's just a figment of the imagination. You know, there is no project, you know, because, and you know that worked because it was, uh, you know, it was basically the only, um, the only game in town. And that's, that's not the case anymore. And, you know, even this, that, you know, neoliberals, you know, you can't just say reforms anymore in this sort of uh, you know broad way, and then everyone nods and you know what's about you know that you have to uh, cut uh, benefits and pensions and uh, do austerity. You know, you you do you have to qualify in some ways that saying that is actually uh, neoliberalism. A lot of a lot of centrists are going you know com- you know completely haywire. They they really don't like it. You know, it's um, and uh, so I think in a lot of ways you you know you get this feel that the days of, you know, complete uncontested common sense is, is gone from liberalism. It's not that it's still, you know, it's still there, it's entrenched in uh, all the institutions. It's, uh, you know, from, uh, the ECB in Frankfurt to the, to the IMF, you know, when they do that policy, it's still, you know, nothing has changed in a lot of ways, but it's just the, the feeling you get the sort of the confidence of uh the 1990s mm-hmm. the early aughts that's um that's, that, gone. that's gone yeah yeah so it's not the only only game in
1: town as, as you put it but i think before moving on to talk about some of the ways in which the current period might be more or less similar to the 70s i think alex had a question about you know are we talking about permanent crisis here or how did you want to frame that Alex
0: yeah well exactly that I mean well one thing is that yeah the, we, we do have a term for for the way that centrists are, are losing their minds and we call it neoliberal order breakdown syndrome so I just want to give a, a, shout, a shout out to that yeah. um but the the question of crisis I mean I think almost by by its nature it would be wrong to describe something as a as a permanent crisis or a long-term crisis think there's a tendency i think sometimes on the left to do this like capitalism's in crisis it's always in crisis and uh the whole point is that there are precisely periods of some sort of equilibrium and you propose using the term interregnum as opposed to punctuated uh punctuated equilibriums right because uh those punctuations seem to often be quite long so i guess is your work is your the 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 article that you've written an attempt to try to 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 flesh out what how to treat these periods which are the the, the in between periods basically you know the transitionary periods which often can be quite long.
2: Um, yeah, it's some of this is uh, you know this sort of uh, inside baseball uh, of academia where we make a, a stupid theory and then. Uh, we can, uh, you know, we write a thousand papers about how it, how it maybe not fits the, the reality. But uh, I think it's in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of the good, um, good work on, um, you know, impact of crisis and ideological change, and it's both within uh, sort of uh, the Marxist tradition and uh, you know broader mainstream institutional theories, uh, is basically uh, based on this idea of a critical juncture. You know, that basically. Uh, Systems are uh, are stable in most times. You know, you have it. You can call it hegemony, uh, or you can call it uh, uh, whatever you want. If you're uh, uh, if you're more, more mainstream, but it's still this idea that you know you basically need a crisis to overcome some of the um, natural um, uh, sort of uh, stabilizing uh, features of of any institutional system. And um, but this also means that you 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 get this idea that, uh, you know, development is, I, I call it, uh, you know, the, the punctuated equilibrium. It's from, uh, Stephen Jay Gould, who used it to describe how, uh, uh, biological, uh, development happened. That is also, you know, you get stability for a long while and then suddenly something changes quickly. Um, and basically I think that's been the way that we've thought about this, uh, uh within, a sort of a political economy. Um, uh, Scholarship and the way that I thought about, you know, that you know, you have stability and then you get a crisis and you know, then you had the the uh, post-war post-war order in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. Then you had a crisis and then you got neoliberalism and now we had a crisis. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, that was um, that was also how um, how I started this work, started looking at sort of comparatively to to the 70s. That was um, you know this uh, this. Uh, paper was originally part of my PhD I was doing and um, you know I started that a couple of years after the crisis and I was basically just um, waiting for time to go by so I could do a sort of a comparative study of you know uh, basically how things happened in uh, in the 70s and how nothing happened after the 2008 crisis. Mm-hmm. This was around uh, the time where uh, Colin Crouch had just come out with his uh, his book The Strange Non-Death of uh, of Neoliberalism and Everyone was sort of, there was, right after the the 08 crisis, I guess there was this sort of expectation that we'd see a paradigm shift, that we'd, you know, neoliberalism was there. And once, you know, in 2009 and 10, everyone found out that this wasn't the case, then, you know, everyone was trying to explain this sort of, this anomaly, basically this surprise that, you know, we've been used to. A a deep crisis of capitalism, meaning a change in uh, ideology and superstructure, uh, you know. This happened in the 1930s, this happened in the 1970s with the rise of neoliberalism. So, you know, basically nothing changing after the 08 crisis was something that had to be explained, you know. That's why it was this strange non-death. And I was looking at the 70s and saying, you know, okay, what's different? You know, back then we had change and now... There's nothing. But then I started to, you know, it, it took a while. Uh, and when you go back to, uh, uh, if you put yourself in the shoes of someone uh, standing in, in 1979, which today we see as a sort of uh, the year zero of, of, of neoliberalism, I think probably, you know, you, you couldn't see it at the point, or at least very, very few people could, um, uh, could see it. At that point, you also mm. had uh, like very, very strong left movements. And you know, so, even going, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, d- just maybe to dig a, a bit more
1: into this um, comparison between the seventies um, and today, and I think in that way to illuminate some of <clears throat> some of the characteristics of of uh, today's period. Phil, I think you had a uh, as as our very own political throwback. You had some questions about the seventies. <laughs>
3: So funny! Uh, <laughs> how am I a political throwback? I don't get it. Anyway, that that'll be a um, bonus
0: feature. We can come back. To
2: that. <laughs> the, the, the explainer. You you write box explainer of the.
3: Um, well, it was just it was to. It was I suppose to push you further along along the path of the. Thinking about what the similarities and differences are with the nineteen seventies, because on the one hand, like you say, there is. Um, there are obvious differences. Um, at the same time, um, the seventies does seem like a good point of comparison. Um, so I wondered if you could maybe tot up a few of the differences and a few of the similarities for us, kind of um, in both in both columns, so we get a, some sense of uh, an overall kind of perspective.
2: Um, yeah, just to start with the, with the similarities, perhaps, which is. I guess more from from this from a left point of view, the the, the good news that basically the 70s was, you know, you, you had a pretty long period of the old system not really working, and and again, you, sort of the troubles in the 70s, you know, you could point to uh, to 71 with the um, uh, the breakdown of the Bretton Woods system, uh, you know, Nixon uh, uh, taking the dollar off gold uh, and thereby you know just uh, shifting uh, all of the all of the um, uh, the US deficits uh, from from the Vietnam War to the rest of the world you can take like uh, 73 with the first oil shocks was which was where I was sort of uh, uh, normal people really started to to feel um, this uh, this turbulence so in, in that way like but after that you had this uh, period of um, you know you would, I don't think you could you, you would sh- say that it was, uh, you, know, you know, today we see it, okay, this was like the start of neoliberalism, but at the point, you know, most of the the dominant politicians were still thinking in a sort of a, in a Keynesian way, um, you know, they were trying to do the same stuff that had worked very well in, in the 50s and the 60s, in some ways, like a lot of them um, one of the period of, of, of peak Keynesianism in a lot of ways were the 19 the 1970s. Uh, you had ways of trying to, you know, combine. But that would, but
3: that would fit then um, what you were just saying about the strange non-death of neoliberalism, right? So if you if the yeah. 1970s would have seemed at the time like the strange non-death of Keynesianism, then yeah. that would be a that would be something similar. They keep on reapplying the same old medicine even though it no longer fits the the disease.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and in some ways, like the, you know, it's the same medicine, but it no longer works. It's like it's it's not doing it's uh, it's not doing its job. And so so in that way, and then you get uh, you know the sort of uh, the weakening of um, uh, you know the ideological um, material weakening of this sort of the old consensus, the old center. Of course, gives room for uh, for alternatives. Uh, for, you know, the crazies uh, to the left and right. Uh, They, you know, they get their time in in the sun. And again, we've had um, in the last uh, 10 years, probably like really, really good uh, histories of of neoliberalism. I think it's uh, had Quince Lobodian on who... uh, who's done, like, a, a really good job, and I think we've been better and better at uh, sort of uh, tracing back the trajectory of, of neoliberalism. But sometimes when we do that sort of very deep historical work, we forget that it was only in the 1970s, and in some ways, like, pretty late uh, in the 1970s, that these ideas really became, uh, became central, uh, you know. In some ways, you know, without... This prolonged period of crisis and prolonged period of uh, you know ideological um, confusion, you know, you know, the Montpelliering Society would have ended up like you know so many of uh, the uh, decapital reading groups of the 1970s. It would just been you know this uh, you know weird old guys uh, thinking about old ideas. But um, but what what happened, of course, was that you know neoliberalism became successful, and therefore it sort of I think it. It is shadowed for sort of understanding, uh, you know, the 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 1970s and and also its complexities. Because if if you went back to to the time you had, of course you had neoliberalism on the right. You had the sort of uh, in the U.S. Uh, the, you know, the uh, first uh, uh, the the conservative movement trying to nominate Reagan in uh, uh, in, um, in 76 and then being successful in. Uh, in 1980, you had the Thatcherite takeover uh, with Joseph uh, of the Conservative Party, uh, but you also had, uh, you know, uh, radicalization on the left, and you had uh, like some of these very, very, uh, again, moderate uh, post-war social democratic parties suddenly starting to do some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, you know, you had uh, Tony Benn in uh, in the UK, you know, who, who was. Uh, very, very powerful figure with the, the well, economic strategy. You had like Mitterrand in France. Uh, you know, if, if you look at the, for instance, uh, you know the um, the political program of of Mitterrand uh, in um, in eighty one that he got elected on. That's like n- no left party today has anything vaguely similar. Like, but, even, it's a,
3: you know, but it's an interesting comparison because, of course, he's the one also that transitions to. Um, neoliberalism in France effectively when he locks yeah. he locks France into um, into the European Exchange Rate Mechanism. Um, I mean, I suppose I, to flip it though, because um, I take you know I take everything you're saying um, yeah. about and I suppose I'd push you I'd push the point further because um, it wouldn't appear like you say it wouldn't have appeared obvious at the time that neoliberalism would be the uh, thing that would emerge successfully. So. The real, I guess, the real, the real game, or the real, um, the nub of it, then, is to see if, if it's possible to identify the factors or the trends that are at work at moment. It might, it probably, it's probably too difficult to say which one would emerge successful, but we should at least be able to, we should at least be able to identify which are those um, forces and groups that are shaping the current interregnum, right?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true, and of course. The main uh, the main difference for, for us on the left is that in the 1970s we had or you know we still had a very very powerful very grounded labor movement in, uh, in most uh, um, uh, in most European uh, countries even to a certain extent in uh, in the US so uh, in that way you know it's um, it's um, it's a harder uh, it's a harder job today for, for a left project. Um, for in a, in a lot of ways and in some ways i I guess um, that the, I think uh, you know most of the you know the renewed power of the left comes from from the parliamentary uh, from the parliamentary scene and in the 1970s that was uh, you know that was a very hard um, uh, arena uh, to play in for the left. it mm-hmm. seems in a lot of ways easier today also because the sort of the centre-left forces are just very very weak. But at the same time, uh, you know, having electoral success is uh, you know only part of uh, part of a successful uh, political uh, political strategy. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, this uh, once it comes to uh, to actually uh, to actually govern, you know, you need a you know you need you need a social base. You need a you need a backing in um, you know in something else than just um, um, yeah, just parliament. Otherwise, right? You know...
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wanted to come on to exactly this. I mean, it's interesting because we can make you know many interesting comparisons between today's interregnum and that of the '70s, and of course, the '70s. You know, they're living in the under the shadow of the radicalization of the '60s, the frustration of that, uh, various kind of ways of going beyond the limitations of parliamentary democracy, and that you know you find that. It, in expressions even of terrorism you know across europe um but th- as you say there were lots of strong social forces and today we live in a very different period so i i want to maybe change tack and think about how today is precisely different um it- we're entering clearly in- in- into a period of renewed turbulence both on the national on various national scenes as well as international um but the references that we often reach for to try to explain today seem often kind of inadequate you know it's normally the 1970s or the or the 1930s so everyone's either like a new hitler on the scene or is like a failing 1970s style socialist you know as as uh, centrists like to to talk about corbin for example right um so it might be interesting if we try to spell out what precisely is different about the post-2008 interregnum in contrast to the 70s because i so let me me, just to say one more thing is that that so although you have these you have this kind of Let's say a cyclical interpretation, where you have uh, periods of of hegemony, of you know, where you have a a more a certain form of equilibrium, which then gets challenged. You have an interregnum period, and then you have an an establishment of a of a new order. Um, But there's also across this period, since the end of the Second World War, a kind of a secular decline at that same at that same time, right? And it's a secular decline in both in kind of political terms, in terms of. Parties becoming weaker, social forces becoming less organized, as well as in economic terms, profit rates uh, continually declining and so on. So that seems to, so as well as the cyclical thing that you described, there's also a secular decline at the same time, isn't there?
2: Um, Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think in some ways, um, uh, it's, yeah, yeah, we are entering not only the sort of the end of the neoliberal period in some ways, but also the end of, um, of, you know the the post war period you know that there, there are this stuff going on uh, that that's taking us back to uh, you know to earlier development of course like these analogies is, can always take you too far but i, I think it's um especially uh, the work of uh, of someone like uh, uh, thomas uh, thomas piketty um points to to the extent that uh, you know what we're witnessing now in the sort of uh, the late decadent period of of neoliberalism is a is a return to this, um, you know, to at least when it comes to uh, to economic, uh, you know, distribution. You know, we're sort of entering a new gilded age. So we, you know, we're not even we're, it's not about going back to the uh, to the seventies, but more about you know going back to uh, sort of the uh, uh, the pre uh, pre first world war uh, period. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, a
0: friend of the podcast, Anton Jaeger, made a point in our discussion about the European elections that the that, you know, the main central left and central right parties of social democracy and and Christian democracy uh, polling under 50 percent in many different countries and at the European elections was really the definitive end of the of the post-war period. Um, It was already probably announced uh, a long time ago, but that really right now seems particularly a definitive point of of ending of that post-war period.
2: Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's true. There's also a sort of um, uh, again, um, if we're looking at these sort of long cycles, there's been uh, ever since uh, basically uh, the um, yeah the end of uh, of World War II. There's been a you know steady growth in uh, global integration. Uh, again, part of this was sort of a rebuilding of the earlier um, of the earlier period. It was you know it took quite many decades. It was only in the um, in the 1970s, 80s, that we got up to the same sort of, uh, you know, global trade as presented of global GDP uh, as, as you'd had before, before the First World War. But we also see, you know, but, you know, it kept on growing, you know, we had the, you know, like the the era of high globalization with the, you know, deeper financial integration that we've ever had uh, before. and. It also seems that that sort of um, that is uh, that's ending in a certain uh, that's a certain way, or at least it's uh, it's slowing down. So we no longer have this, uh, you know, continual secular growth of um, um, of global integration, both on sort of uh, in the real economy of, of commodities being uh, shipped all around the world, and in uh, uh, in finance, where you know again. It's not, you know, finance is still uh, very, very important and uh, global financial um, flows are, um, you know, you know, they're playing a, a huge role, uh, especially in the siphoning off, uh, you know, large part of the world's uh, profits for, to uh, to tax havens. But it's still like we're starting to see the fragility of these, uh, you know, these flows. Uh, we're starting to just, you know, see uh, that it's, you know, the sort of uh, the confidence it takes to uh, you know take all of your money and invest them in a, a you know a very illiquid uh, factory on the other side mm-hmm. of the world you know you, you know you need uh, you need a very very high degree of stability and that needs yeah. to be ensured not only by uh, sort of uh, financial uh, institutions you know, the IMF the WTO whatever but also of course of, of you know. Uh, uh, a U.S. Uh, mm. imperial might, uh, military might, uh, you know, uh, guaranteeing these sort of uh, these sort of investments. Yeah. I mean,
1: So just just to um, no, I think that's absolutely true. The institutional framework that's that's required for this for these developments. But um, just to return to the return once again to the to the seventies um, and to continue this comparison, or maybe to find a, a point of difference here. Um, do you think that if we is it is it too simple to say that the main distinction or the main difference with the with the seventies is that at at present, we still have a real um, persistence of this kind of Tina-like policy consensus within ruling elite circles in most Western countries, as opposed to the voting public, who seem uh, really to to have rejected this this sort of centrism in in its various forms. Um, Whereas in the 70s, um, there was, in fact, quite a lot of strategic disagreement across and within business, civil service, and political personnel at at the very top. Do you think this is the is it too simple to say this is the main the main difference between the '70s and today? It's in the nature of the mm-hmm. consensus in the
2: ruling block, or no, no. I I actually think there is uh, um, a large degree of uh, of uncertainty and confusion today as well. Um, I think as um, I think when uh, you know all the millionaires go to Davos and fuss about uh, inequality uh, and uh, you know how the how we need to change the world. Uh, of course, you know they're they're cynical and hypocritical and all of these things. But I think they're also, uh, you know, genuinely worried. Um, and I think there is. But the point is just that it's you know it's not so easy to you know it's uh, we often have a, a, a tendency uh, on the left to uh, to think about uh, you know ideology and, and class interest as something being uh, you know only going on in the sort of uh, on the popular uh, front. You know that it's uh, you know um the question on you know and when it comes to to elites to uh, the ruling class you know would you think you know, well they have the interest and they know them but you know they don't know their interest uh they have you know they need ideology as well that's why you know that's, but that's basically why you know you, you need all the economists and uh you know the uh thought leaders and these sort of things you know you, in order to create coordination cohesion you know, you do need a certain level of, of consensus and, and consensus, and when that's gone, you know, you have, you know, you have problems. Also, I, th- I think a lot of, I think basically a lot of billionaires actually do want a sort of a, a moderate amount of uh, alleviation of, of the worst effects of, of inequality because it would just be much safer. But they're, they're not able to do it. You know, it's um, you know the, the sort of the mainstream of of the business sector in in the U.S. You know, they can't. Control these sort of uh, out of control oligarchs like the Cooks and uh, mm. uh, Sheldon Adelston and um, uh, who else is uh, is running this? It's you know it's the 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 sort of the mechanisms of of coordination is um, is breaking yeah. down. I think there's mm. been there's a, it's a great it's book I can't remember his name, is Ruch or something. The fracturing of the American elite, which is a you know um, economic sociologist who looked at these sort of these networks of interlocking directorates of you know big uh, uh, big companies big banks having uh, you know people sitting in each other's boards uh, yeah. and this sort of network was used to be you know quite tight-knit uh, you had sort of an an organization of uh, you know the commanding heights of uh, uh, of the american uh, economy there but gradually it, it broke down uh, during uh, the 90s and 2000 because basically you know in you know, in the the period of the uh, you know, early neoliberalism, uh, you had to to organise collectively uh, in order. For the Actually, to- this oh, oh. just in, interesting to, to to touch on that point, and I think Alex has a question
1: on on the party form, um, as as he would put it. Just just before <laughs> just before passing over to him, I just just to be quite. Um, Schematic about it, and I guess particularly for listeners who haven't read the paper, there's a, a really interesting framing that you do some of the some of the differences between the the stabler periods um, and the interregnum. So, um, and just to you know just to 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 frame this discussion about about political parties. So you say in a in a hegemonic equilibrium. That's, yeah. you know, a, a $5 uh, phrase for it, but in, in a stable period, you have yeah. um, social forces in a stable block, you have consensus in ideas, institutions yeah. are stable, um, political struggle is is about left versus right within a consensus, and political parties seem to be unimportant or, or um, tied up within this consensus. But the inter, in the interregnum, social forces are in a period of realignment, ideas are in dissensus or disagreement, institutions are unstable. Um, there are several competing hegemonic um, projects. And then one particularly interesting point that you, um, the advances is this idea that political struggle might be within blocks rather than um, across them within a consensus. And so therefore, part political parties might become more important as a site of ideological struggle. Um, and this is presented in a in a very neat table um, for, for readers who like that sort of thing, such as as me, but just to Um, pass it over to Alex though I think he wanted to put this this point about the party form um, in a more concise
3: way yeah
0: actually um, it wasn't so much about the party form which I do want to come on to but I think that might end up something which is uh, which which is subsequent to, to what I wanted to ask about because the question of elite consensus seems a little bit almost paradoxical because on the one hand there seems to be an extraordinary amount of elite cohesion because everyone signed up to there is no alternative, and uh, the the fundamentals of the economy aren't really under question. Um, at the same time, the ruling classes seem extraordinarily fractious, and you can see in terms of like the government shutdown in the U.S. Um, and the, this this apparent notion that there's increasing partisanship, increasing bickering even amongst you know different fractions of the elite. And so, you know, how do we how do we unpick that? What 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 side do we come down on? Are they more are uh, co- elites today more cohesive or less cohesive than in the past or, or, in, or in past interregnums? Um, the way I kind of my provisional answer, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Ruina, is Is that the, the degree of dissension amongst the elite within the elite takes place more on a cultural level than on a political level. And you can see this as if you see the Democrats and the Republicans in the U.S., for example, as. The two wings of the American ruling class. The divisions there are fundamentally cultural ones, um, about how to about personal behavior, about how to live your lives, about tastes and attitudes and behavior, um, and to a certain degree, then on certain key, maybe more political questions, but which get interpreted in 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 cultural forms. You know, so what is your attitude, for example, to borders and migration? But in serious, um, in terms of political organization, there seems to be very little. Uh, dissensus there so to, to to summarize to put to put it briefly i guess is that is uh the lack of elite cohesion primarily expressed in cultural forms rather than in political ways
2: i, I think the the cultural uh, sort of animosities are and um, are definitely uh are definitely important and um, i'm more of a sort of a political economy guy myself so uh, I, I'm you know I have probably less to say but it's definitely it's it's there you can see like also the way that uh, like Britain is tearing itself apart uh, and both of the, the left and the right uh, over brexit the best you know it's very very hard to fit that into a sort of a, a any sort of economic interest uh, uh, debate you um, uh, so, so that's definitely, an especially you know, also in the in the nineteen seventies uh, you can't understand the rise of neoliberalism in, in the U.S. context, uh, especially um, without understanding the backlash against the civil rights movement, which again was a sort of a, again, largely cultural um, uh, cultural event. So, so uh, I think you're right there that 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 definitely um, that definitely plays uh, plays a role, and I think a lot of the sort of um, Again, when I think I start to see, you know, differences also on the sort of economic uh, side of it, it's because you know some of this cultural stuff also has economic consequences. You know, what you feel about uh, sort of uh, immigration and uh, openness has, uh, you know, uh, also has pretty large economic consequences. The sort of uh, you know the movement of of people and uh, you know around the Around the world, around Europe, um, which has, you know, played a large role in the sort of uh, um, the right-wing cultural uh, backlash of uh, of the last uh, couple of a uh, couple of years, you know, that's of course very very closely tied to uh, to the, the project of, of neoliberal uh, globalization, and you know, you can you can see that, uh, you know, that the, again whether or not this is uh, you know part of a of a planned, uh, project or not uh, you know if trump is actually successful in uh, you know stopping uh, the flow of uh, um, of uh, commodities of goods from uh, from uh, from china and you know this will have huge consequences for you know the the whole build up of uh, of value chains and the whole structure of, uh, of the american um uh you know economy uh, so you know we will have uh, you know uh, he, the, the, there is spillover also between these um these uh, these areas but but i think you definitely you're right you you know uh you know the lead uh, the right is deeply deeply divided by these these cultural questions the problem here of course being that this is the case for the left as well uh, you know there's sort all of uh, the bind that uh that the the Labour Party in the UK is in, you know, that basically uh, it's split down the middle on on the issue of of Brexit. Uh, It's it's very, um, it's very hard because I think it's also like, I think it's hard for the left to win on any of these these cultural, um, cultural um, questions, you know, whether or not they are
1: this 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 sets up really nicely the question that i'd i passed over to alex or or the maybe i just should have passed over to myself to ask this question which is about (laughs) about that's good sharing right um yeah which is about about political parties and this 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 idea that they become relatively more important in an interregnum they become size of ideological struggle certainly seems to be true in in the uk um at least um, but this runs counter, or, or actually, this is the question, does this run counter um, to the analysis given by Peter Mayer, um and many others on, on the left about the hollowing out of, of the party form? Or is it precisely that we're seeing this situation where um, you would expect parties to become more important and sites of ideological struggle, but in fact, they've been, uh, in many cases, hollowed out. So you see this being filled up with all of the cultural um dissensus
2: that you just previously were talking about um yeah i I do think that we we are seeing um parties taking on a new um a new centrality again if we go back to the to the 1970s then um it was you know the big changes taking place um with the rise of neoliberalism was not so much about um again the, the change of government necessarily, you know, you you had in the UK, you had the Heath government, you had Nixon uh, proclaiming that, you know, we're all Keynesians now, you know, the big change taking part in during the 1970s was, uh, you know, the takeover uh, very sort of uh, as a grassroots movement in in the the US in a lot of ways by sort of Goldwater conservatives running Reagan uh, as an, uh, you know, outsider and and sort of trying to uh, you know take over and throw out the old uh, uh, the old East Coast uh, moderate uh, elite in the in the Republican Party in the UK it was more of a uh, you know more gradual, but it basically is Thatcher and Keith Joseph coming in and transforming the Conservative Party from being this. Uh, Know, relatively moderate uh, you know post-war you had a lot of uh, you know center-right parties you know, building welfare states in the 60s and 70s uh, you know uh, de Gaulle in France uh, uh, the CDU in, in Germany so, so a lot of what's what really happened in, in the 19 um, in the 1970s was the transformation of these um, of these parties um, mm. and of course um, we you know the paradigmatic example here, of course, is uh, is Corbyn's uh, is Corbyn's labour and sort of the the struggle going on in um, um, uh, in the Democratic Party in uh, in the US uh, at the moment. Uh, other places you see the, the, you know, the complete collapse of uh, the centre left, and uh, you know, sort of uh, some places the uh, the left uh, re- rising to take over. Sometimes it's just You know, like in France now, sort of a chaotic. But but it's basically it's more the realignment within. You know, it's uh, Mm. sort of the end of this this shift between you know center right, center left. uh, You know, you get uh, you know then you get a Blair, then you get a a a major. So it's uh, and you know the differences aren't perhaps that uh, that big. But you know, it's uh, in the last couple of years, party politics has suddenly become become crucial in. in another way and you know yeah. to, to, to turn towards uh you know peter Mayers, which of course i i admire his work um uh, tremendously uh, uh you know when i call this paper ruling the interim it is sort of a, an homage to uh to his ruling the void uh which i've been very uh, inspired by but in some ways this is you know saying that has it has been a development but it's also a development of uh, of new liberalism of uh you know Basically, a feeling by a lot of people of you know, it doesn't really matter who you uh, who you vote for, nothing really changes, and mm-hmm. the sort of zooming out of politics. But we are seeing, at least among the young cohorts, and um, yes. sort of uh, plugging into politics again. Yeah. Of course, it's it has a different form than it used to in the you know in the post-war period where you had like real mass parties, but. And, and so, you know, it's, we have like video games and, and uh, uh, TV and whatever what's going on now. Uh, so you know there's you know things aren't as boring uh, as they were in the 1950s, where you, you know you join the youth uh, wing of an uh, of a political organization just to go to a party. Uh, so there's it's like such a lot of stuff going on, but on a political that's, level, uh, no,
3: uh,
0: that's now, that's now the everyone,
3: different party form. Now everyone listens. <laughs> now everyone listens to podcasts. Yeah, so true, which the, is the, the, the
2: highest
1: form of politics. Yeah, the the, the the podcast form is is important in in contemporary politics, um, and <laughs> undoubtedly the. I think Alex though had a question about about what comes next. Are we oh, monsters before, of the interregnum?
3: Just before that, though, I wanted to. Um, so, if you could, if you could tell Isrina, then what what you would identify as the key? If you could just list the key um, agents or the key kind of forces at work that we would need to keep an eye on and which we could ex- reasonably expect that one of them will emerge as the dominant tendency of the next 30 years?
2: Oh, that's a big question. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the prediction game here is uh, is hard. Also, like if. Five years ago, anyone had told me that uh, the U.K. Well, would not, be like not a Well, not,
3: not to predict who will win, only to sure. identify who's contending. Yeah,
2: but but even that, uh, you know, uh, I, I think a large part of what's happening now is basically sort of, uh, it's more, I think, a loss of, uh, loss of cohesion, a lot of strength from uh, the political establishment. Unless the case of the left suddenly being uh, very strong again, uh, you know, the the Corbyn um, Story is I I think indicative here, you know, it's um, No one least of all like uh, people on the British left, Uh, you know, I lived in London in uh, uh, 2011 to 12 and again a bit later and you know, I hadn't you know, I went to lots of uh, Uh, Left uh, uh, talks, and uh, I was even a bit involved in left unity at that point. And you know, everyone had just written off uh, Labour. Everyone had written off uh, the Labour left, and you know, suddenly, uh, you know, know, it's just sort of the rot uh, meant uh, inside of the Labour Party meant that it was just like it collapsed completely. Uh, But 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 and you know, the same with the US. No one. Could have predicted uh, again just uh, five years ago that we'd have uh, a democratic socialist running there. I would probably you know tip the Anglo countries to being uh, you know the last place where we where where we'd have um, you know a, a potentially uh, victorious hegemonic uh, uh, left uh, left formation. And on the other hand, uh, you know, a place like France, I would have you know I would have thought that you know with the amount of uh, uh, you know turbulence with uh, the sort of uh, you know you, you've had the sort of uh, uh, you know w- lots of uh, like false starts and uh, you know we thought it with Melanchol last time he had a shot so you know the, the, the nothing that nothing has happened in France for instance has surprised me uh, quite a lot in this uh, left resurgence so, so far so, yeah, but so like basically it's uh, but, but, but perhaps your question was more in sort of uh you know the sort of the building blocks uh, of, was it more on the sociological level? You know, who will be the new uh, revolutionary vanguard? Uh. That
1: these social forces in in realignment. I think this is what what Phil was was digging into. Who who are these these forces?
2: But I mean, maybe to move. Maybe. Yeah, but, but but I think I think and I think it's definitely it's a hard question and you know I'm basically more of a you know again an elite uh, elite guy I can tell you why they are fucking up and don't know what they're doing, and whereas uh, you know it's it you know the, the sort of the more you know the social movement dynamic that we have now is you know it's 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 a lot more you know it's fluid it yeah. seems to move faster than it used what? to. J- j- um, just, so just as an just, aside, to, to sorry, about, I just wanted just, to make
0: a, a, a quick aside which, because you made the, the comparison between the Anglo countries which seem to have this uh, a certain political energy on the left uh, and then, yeah. you know, comparing it to France. And it's actually funny because in France you actually do have a social movement in the form of the Gilets Jaunes uh, which yeah, yeah. finds no political expression and then in the Anglo countries you have a political movement which doesn't really have too much of a social base.
2: Yeah, that that is true, yeah. And then the, the question is, you know, what is the most... Um, Uh, you know, what's the most, uh, you know, what's the nicest to have, basically, in in the long run, because I think also in a lot of ways, uh, part of this, of course, is, you know, part of this is, you know, just like the establishment collapsing in itself, but I think it's also a sort of a, at least on an intellectual level, uh, um, a wising up on the left. Uh, I think, if we'd still have the early 2000s uh, anti-globalization movement, you know, not wanting to take power, uh, you, know, you know, we'd still be, uh, you know, about, uh, perhaps doing some demonstrations. But it's, I think there's been a sort of, um, um, uh, um, you know, a reevaluation of, you know, basically how important state power is, uh, mm. how that has to play a role. Uh, in, in some ways, this has you know, basically been sort of at a real-time, uh, you know, as in um, real-time learning experiences in Spain where sort of uh, uh, Podemos uh, grew out of the M15 movement, of course, like Podemos, uh, you know, is uh, perhaps not as strong as they were a couple of years ago, but they're still, you know, you managed to shake up the system uh, by entering electoral politics Um mm-hmm. So, I, 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 so
1: you mentioned previously elites fucking up and, and yeah. the establishment collapsing in on itself. And um, to return, I guess, just briefly to this this Gramsci quote that we that we started with, what are these um, what are these morbid symptoms? Where do you see these, uh, these this great variety of, of morbid symptoms as occurring in um, in twenty nineteen?
2: Yeah, I think it touch on a lot of the sort of uh, the ideological ones. You know, the sort of this feeling of, of panic, lack of uh, yeah, cohesion, lack of um, uh, the sort of easy confidence uh, of, uh, you know, early 90s and uh, neoliberals. But I think there's also, uh, if we look at the, the sort of the more, the more material level that, you know, we've been um, basically running, um, again, the, the austerity um, uh, wave of uh, the 2000s, sort of in some ways uh, Neoliberalism and speed, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, drastic reductions in, um, um, in welfare in a lot of countries where, you know, uh, this flexibilization of the labor market, meaning, you know, uh, uh, making it easier to uh, to hire and fire all of these things. And, uh, you know, it's but it's just, you know, <laughs> it it hasn't had the effect we're running these uh, this. Uh, an orthodox monetary policy, where we're running uh, basically um, uh, an interest rate of zero, uh, even pumping out uh, money directly into the financial system, and even when you're, you're doing all of this, and we're probably at the peak of uh, um, uh, of, a, uh, of a boom uh, right now, uh, you know, just before uh, uh, just before another sort of of crash, and still, you know, you can barely manage to squeeze out two percent growth. Uh, mm-hmm. in most uh, developed economies. So it's like, you know, it's like you have a, you know, the engine is running, you have the, you know, your foot on the speeder uh, all the way down, and you're still only going uh, 20 miles an hour. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it is, you know, it's basically, you know, trying to do the same things, but they just don't work as well as they used to. Again, the same with, uh, you know, um, the, the sort of change in demand management of, uh, of the nineteen, on uh, the nineteen seventies, you try to, you know, stabilize the economy and do this sort of uh, relatively inclusive uh, growth, the non-inflationary growth that you've done in the fifties and sixties, and you're just unable to do it. And of course, mm. all of this tells us, you know that it's, you know, capitalism is an unstable system, and sometimes you, you know with, you know, S- either th- brains or luck, it just, you know, you, you get a certain alignment of forces where you know certain instruments works for a while but
1: mm. so so yeah. then there's yeah. a
2: in, in this situation there's a search for, for for
1: new ideas and and for uh competing visions um but i think alex you had a you had a point yeah. here about the the na- what if what these uh, competing visions seem to to offer us
0: yeah i mean it's it, i i was it was quite stark because when you put it, it in a table, as you do in your article, uh, it does stand out quite starkly. I mean, so you, you do a table of, of kind of the 1970s interregnum where, as well as uh, the neoliberal, the rising neoliberal challengers and the kind of continuity Keynesianism, you also have a more radical left approach which, you know, is in the form of, of Mitterrand or, or the, the like Labour's 1983 manifesto, which gets defeated. And so, you, you know, you, you have a similar sort of uh, format for today's situation, where you have austerity and neoliberalism, which is, again, kind of continuing to do the same thing with, with decreasing returns, as you've just described. And then you have an economic nationalism, which is challenging that. And then you have a, a left populism. But, I mean, reading it, it struck me like how limited these visions actually are, uh, how little of a, of a real alternative they seem to be. Because the economic nationalism, I mean, if you... beyond. Uh, the question of trade and then of migration, the differences seem to be more in the rhetorical or discursive level uh, that they say things that you're not meant to say, but in in material terms, in many ways that what they propose is a continuity of, of neoliberalism. It's putting neoliberalism into a more you know, nationalist jacket, but uh, but in in fundamental terms, it doesn't change very much. And you can look at different examples, you know, Orbán in, in in Hungary, for that matter, or uh, Erdogan in Turkey, and it doesn't seem to be any great divergence um, from past and, forms of rule.
3: And I would just add to that, though, as well, like Syriza in Greece, right?
0: Well, um, right. I
3: mean, that's been the lesson: is that the the party that destroyed PASOK, and that was you know pacification was what everyone was talking about on the left or Aaron Bastani was anyway, um, a couple of years back, uh, the result has been it was Syriza that wielded neoliberal austerity in um, in Greece. So it's not just, um, its pictures aren't just on the left. So let me just,
0: just to finish the, the point that I was making, I mean, are, are, do we not have, it's like the, the interregnum that we have now, I mean, and the competing visions which rush in seem to be more, again, still on a cultural or ideological level than a material one so far.
2: Uh, I, w- I would say, in a lot of ways, yes. Um, but I think there's also, um, I think that there are potential economic um, consequences. And again, for me, it's also it's a matter of you know, it, you know, neoliberalism just isn't working. At, you know, something needs to uh, something needs to arise, of course. Uh, and you know, it might be me being too uh, you know rational here, saying you know, you know, someone needs to come up with a solution and that might not be what people are looking for, uh, at, the, um, at the moment. Uh, but I, 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 think there are, um, at least when it comes to, um, uh, to left, uh, to, to the left, I think we are actually seeing, uh, uh signs of, uh, more, you know, transformative, um, visions. At I least mean. I think, uh, the, uh, the main part here is uh, the reemergence of of the issue of, of ownership, um, uh, uh, of course, with um, uh, uh, with the, the the new models of ownership uh, proposal from uh, uh, from Labour uh, uh, 2017 and uh, Bernie Sanders in the U.S. also starting uh, to talk about it uh, I mean, um, in Denmark, where I uh, where I said this also. It's also sort of re-emerged after a complete mm. um, hiatus and of course I think that is you know that point us to uh, you know again where the 1970s started to become uh, you know radical again. you know and you know especially uh, here in uh, here in Scandinavia we had the sort of the peak uh, of um, uh, uh, Scandinavian uh, social democracy was the sort of uh, uh, the campaign in the 1970s both in uh, in Denmark and Sweden for uh, for wage earners funds and this was basically uh, uh, you know you had like these very very moderate social democratic parties who all uh, you know very very pro US uh, uh, you know campaign for joining NATO and uh, you know, suddenly they were you know by the grassroots of being uh, they had to uh, uh, you know at least uh, campaign for policies uh, to to take over the means of mm. uh, production and you know that the, the issue of ownership has been completely um uh you know kept out of uh, of the agenda uh, ever since and i think the the emergence there can be um i think can be quite powerful also because the right just you know they haven't got uh, a, a clear uh, line on this issue. You know, all their guns are uh, basically a trail on uh, the government and taxes. Uh, you know, the, the rhetorical trick of uh, of the new liberals was basically, uh, you know, turning the you know the debate of uh, socialism versus uh, capitalism into a debate of more or less state. Uh, and this also means that they are completely uh, unable to counter. Um, uh, you know, left proposals that aren't about uh, you know um, tax and spend policies, but are actually about uh, you know changing uh, systems of ownership. Of course, once you start to do this, uh, things start, start to get hairy. You know, people will. Uh, you know, capital is not just uh, you know um, a factor of production. You know, it, it can it can bite, and I think it probably will bite if there's ever you know uh, you actually see some of these policies uh, put into place but i think it's uh, it is actually indicative of uh, you know you know the, the sort of um, the left uh, populists now not only being or uh, sort of new left uh, uh, formations you know not only being uh, you know old social social democrats I think they are at least social democrats in uh, you know in in the sense of uh, you know Actually, wanting to change uh, basic um, uh, basic economic uh, structures of uh, of societies. So I think, at least mm. when it comes to that, it's um, you know it is new stuff are emerging. But of course, you're uh, you're right in uh, in pointing out that uh, if you look at just like the programs, you know the the carbon program of uh, uh, of 2017, uh, uh, the last Podemos. Uh, um, uh, election manifesto, uh, you know what, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon has uh, run on in France. It is it, it, it's prog- programmatically very, very moderate. Um, but so, but yeah,
1: no, and um, I think that's that's a, a good a good sort of note of um, moderation and and realism to, to finish on. And thanks thanks so much for your time, Rune. Um And I think the discussion today has been. Extremely useful, sort of making some of these these points around the the current moment that we're in, and and a bit beyond just this idea that we've just come a long way from 2008, and and you know, Corbyn is a a miracle a failure, maybe, but a, a miracle. Nonetheless, which you which you sometimes see trotted out and 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 don't really engage with some of the the complexities. Or mirage, and
3: the... of course, not just a miracle,
0: yeah. But, but it's a still mirage. but it's still a miracle. It still it still comes out. You know, it's it's a it might be an oasis in a desert, which proves to be a mirage, but it's still an oasis in the desert. And so, <laughs> as you
3: can see, as you can see, Rina, we have some disagreements within our. Uh, hegemonic uh, we uh, have some hegemonic encounter
2: hegemonic the, the, the correct uh, death the metaphor
0: uh. <laughs> um, well, it's the but, end of the end yes, of history it, so you know you have yeah you, Cor- Corbin might fail but you know I think we might need to go through that failure until um, till we find something else that might have capacity to succeed right.
2: yeah yeah but the, I, I think it's, it's worth uh, thinking about you know that you know the left for uh, for a long period, you know we haven't even gotten to the level of failing. Uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> no, that's again, right, that's right. Uh, uh, you know, the, the 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 left of the that early true, true, uh, 2000, yeah. you know, didn't even fail. The left of uh, you know in, in 2008, you know, we didn't even fail. You know, we didn't, you know,
0: it didn't even turn up. You know, you didn't. Yeah, you can, know, you can you can be beaten seven one, but have yet. No
2: idea, um, and now at least we have uh, you know prospects of. Um, of failure (laughs) yeah yeah, of of coming in and filling and uh, you know
3: uh,
2: uh, Comrade Tsipras has shown us uh, it's you know uh, the sky's the limit when it comes to uh, failure
3: a no this is a great
1: note to finish on yeah what a a note to finish on we now have prospects um, for failure so thank you uh, so much Runa for, uh, for coming on thank
0: you cheers